I want us to pay attention right away from the beginning uh, and try to remember why throughout this morning John wrote this letter. All right? He tells us right at the beginning. We're going to read the first four verses to start off, and you'll find the answer there. Um, But we're going to read the whole chapter later on, so keep your Bibles open. 1 John 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. So what does it say? Why did he write it? It's kind of a complex set of four verses, isn't it? Um, He starts out in the first verse emphasizing that he has first-hand knowledge of what he's saying. All right? He says, we heard it, we've seen it, I've touched it. He's a first-hand primary witness to what he's about to say. The question is, what is it? Right? Well, he goes on in verse 2, and he tells us that he's speaking of the way to eternal life, which was revealed by the Father. So now we know what he's writing, but we still haven't answered the question why he's writing it. Verse 3 says that he's telling us what he has witnessed with his own eyes, right? He's telling us these things so that we might have fellowship with him and with the Father and the Son. And then in verse 4, he says that he's spreading that good news in order to complete his joy. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. So he's saying it's to have fellowship. That's why he's writing it, so that others will have fellowship with him and therefore also with God the Father and Christ his Son and that it is a great joy to him when others come into fellowship with him and with the Father. It's not selfish for him to say that. He's writing it so that his joy will be made complete. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. There is wonderful joy when Christians dwell together in unity. There is wonderful joy involved with everybody who is in fellowship with the Lord. Right? And so, when John says that he's writing this so that his joy will be made complete, this isn't uh, some self-centered type of letter that he's writing. Um, This isn't the... uh, John isn't like the prodigal son, this prodigal son's older brother. What did the older brother do when, uh, when the prodigal son returned home? He got angry, right? Why did he get angry? Prodigal son's older brother got angry because 
his brother got right with the father. John has the opposite reaction. When people get right with God, he becomes joyful. He's not like Jonah. When the city of Nineveh repented, Jonah got mad, right? Why? Because Jonah was selfish. John isn't selfish. He rejoices when others are saved. John's joy is made full because of his love for others when they come into the presence of God and fellowship with Him. His desire is that they be saved from destruction just as He was saved. Right? And His joy is made more full when they are rescued. So now, we know why He's writing. We know what He's writing. He's writing the the Gospel, the message of eternal life. And now comes the message. Look at verses 5 and 6. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Isn't that joyous? Sounds just real joyful, doesn't it? This actually doesn't sound very joyful or encouraging. But it is. And we're going to be talking a lot about lying this morning. And that's not real encouraging either, is it? But, you know, John wrote a lot about lying, and so that's what we're stuck with. Some of us here this morning are liars. And we're getting called out by this verse. What does it say? If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Some of us here are liars. We're pretending we have the light, but we're walking in darkness. If this is you, you've got the rest of us fooled somehow. You may even have yourself fooled but you're walking in darkness. You think you're in the light, but you aren't. We're going to talk about what it looks like to walk in darkness. It looks like lying and hypocrisy. Thinking one thing, saying another. Pretending to love someone you hate. It's a hard life, isn't it? Being fake all the time. Pretending that you have love for people that you really just can't stand. Producing light from within yourself or trying to. Trying to convince others that you're walking in light. But God is light and the life of hypocrisy is darkness and there's no connection between the two. That's what verse 5 says. God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. God isn't fooled by your Charade, pretending to walk in the light. So where is the joy? Well, if, you're, if you guys are really paying attention and if you know your Bible, you're thinking, read verse 7. Read verse 7. I'll read verse 7. 
But I'm not reading verse 7 to show you the joy. The joy is in verses 5 and 6. Verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. That certainly is a wonderful promise, isn't it? That the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin. But this verse is like a spotlight showing us what it looks like when we're in the light. Now, a spotlight shines very intensely on something, right? And what does it do outside of that little circle? Nothing. It makes it darker, right? If you're in the spotlight, you stand out. And somebody two feet away from you, what? Doesn't stand out. Because they're not in the spotlight. So what is the spotlight here? The spotlight is what it looks like to be in the light. And all it does is serve to show those of us who are pretending to be in the light how dark it really is around us. If we are in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That's the spotlight. This verse does an even better job than verse 6 of describing the darkness. The darkness is not having fellowship with one another. Some of you do not have fellowship with the believers sitting around you. You don't like them. You distrust them. You despise them and hate them. You never have anything but criticism in your heart for this body of believers. You're only here because you desire others to think well of you or to look up to you or to approve of you. Or you're here to prove that you're a serious Christian or that you have good doctrine or maybe that you have good taste. But that's unlikely, isn't it? Maybe you're afraid of what people would think if you left. That's why you're still here. Or maybe you're just here out of habit. You never thought about leaving, but you don't have fellowship. Or maybe you're just here because your parents dragged you here. Fellowship exists in this church. And it's not the same thing as having friends. It's much, much more than that. In a minute, we're going to try to turn that spotlight on us and see what John focuses on when he talks about fellowship. But first, I want to go back to verses 5 and 6. Let's read them again. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Before we move on, I want us to see the joy in these verses. The promise here is that God is perfect light. There is nothing of darkness in Him. Those of you who have turned to Him and who have fellowship with Him, you aren't living a lie. He has expelled the darkness from around you and from within you, and He's given you the truth. He's promised to be your light and that He will be the truth that will set you free. 
verse 7 is only a continuation of this promise. It's not an instruction to those of you who are hypocrites living in darkness. It doesn't say that all you have to do to not be a hypocrite any longer is to walk in the light. That's what we think it says, don't we? Wouldn't it be nice? Let's read it again. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. It sounds like it's saying all you have to do is walk in the light and you'll have fellowship, right? That's not what it's saying. There's no hope in verse 7 for those walking in darkness. If you're in darkness, there is no light to walk in. Imagine yourself in a pitch black room. Windows, no windows. Door sealed, light off, no light. Rooms are hard to get pitch black. So you've got to think blacker, pitch black. Or if you've ever been in a cave and turned off all the lights, that's pitch black. Or maybe you've been in a sleeping bag and your older brother had it twisted shut. That's pitch black. You're in a pitch black room. You can't see your hand in front of your face. You're completely lost, completely blind. You can't do anything but grope around. And suddenly, there's someone else in there with you. And they say, I got it. I know the answer. The answer is, we walk in the light. What are you going to say? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that's good. Genius. Why didn't I think of that? And then, if you could see him, you'd hit him, right? (laughs) But it's pitch black, and you can't. I was recently in a cave, and we turned off all the lights, and it was pitch black. You couldn't see anything. If we'd had a light meter, it would have read, none, no light. After a while of having no light, somebody said, I think I saw a light. Now, there was no light. But they thought they saw a light. You know what I found out? There was an ophthalmologist with us there. Or a wannabe, at least. I found out that your brain will make up light in the absence of light. Isn't that reassuring? Just makes you feel real positive about your ability to, you know, search out the escape, right? You'll see flashes and lines. There was no light. I held my hand in front of my face and I started seeing those, started seeing those lines. Those, you thought you saw light over in the distance. But my hand was there. I knew there, I couldn't be seeing light way off in the distance because I, I knew I was holding my hand right here. In fact, I couldn't see my hand. I just knew it was there because I could feel the heat of it. So if you're in the darkness and someone says, just follow the light, it's not real helpful. Because all you'll do is end up tripping over yourself. They're not rescue lights. You're just going to fall in a pit. The verse says, if you walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, then you have fellowship with one another. Not you will have fellowship with one another. 
You follow? The, you see the difference? It's evidence. It's continuing evidence from verses 5 and 6 that those who do have fellowship with God are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. How do you know? Well, you can tell because those who are in the light, those who have been cleansed, they have fellowship with God and with one another. So now we're going to turn that spotlight on and most of us are going to see that light and we're going to feel the heat of it on our face. We're going to feel it beating against us and we're going to realize how uncomfortable it is to be in a spotlight, how revealing it is. And we're going to wish that it just was a little bit less bright. Others of us are going to feel the absence of that light and realize that that light is not shining on us. And it will prove the darkness that you've been living in. But I pray that if that's you, you will not lose hope because what John has proclaimed with his first-hand experience, I proclaim with first-hand experience that there is eternal life and salvation available. There is hope and fellowship with the Father and the Son and other believers. If you recognize that you are in the dark trying to produce your own light, your eyes making up lights. Wait. Because verse 7 isn't the answer. The answer isn't to walk in the light. But John does give us the answer. And it is coming. You no longer have to be a hypocrite and a liar. Now, I want everyone to think of your small group. Now, some of you haven't been here before and don't know what the small groups are. And I want you to think about a group of Christians that theoretically you should be in fellowship with. Maybe you live with them. Maybe they're your family. Maybe it's a Bible study or a youth group or play group. But most of us who are part of this church are part of Small groups, home fellowship groups. And if you're not, I have bad news. It's very unlikely that you have fellowship with this body. Because how can you have fellowship with someone that you spend no time with? There are places that you must have fellowship. And the body and bride of Christ is one of them. We're going to spend some time now looking at a particular aspect of fellowship that John focuses on. And we're going to get back to the topic of lying. Because that's where John goes. Remember when I brought up the stories of the prodigal son and the story of Jonah? We understand the prodigal son's older brother real well, don't we? Prodigal son's older brother gets angry when the prodigal son gets right with the father. Why does he get angry? 
He gets angry because he's jealous. He gets angry because he's not right with God. Same with Jonah. You think of children. Is there anything more aggravating to a sulking child than seeing his siblings in loving fellowship with each other and with their father? All it does is make the sulking kid more angry. Right? What do the other children do? The other children do one of two things. Either they call out to their brother saying, Come, fellowship with us. Fellowship with the Father. And they rejoice when the rebellious son returns home, repents, confesses his sin. Or, what's the other option? The other option is they're sitting smugly on their father's lap thinking, Look how much better I am than you. Don't you wish you weren't in the doghouse? And the rebellious child sitting across the room thinking, You're not any better than me. I know you. You're just never in trouble. You always get away with it. You're never sorry, never disciplined. But if that rebellious child comes back to the father, what happens then? There's not joy from the siblings, is there? There's anger, jealousy. The smug sibling gets angry. That's the aspect of fellowship and family life that we're going to dive into. Let's read verses 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The reality of our family life as a church is that we're deceiving ourselves. Just to prove my point, I want all of you who think that you have no sin to raise your hand. Okay. Now I want all of you to raise your hand who knows someone in your small group who thinks they have no sin. Come on. Put those hands up. You know who I'm talking about, right? The person who just really really gets on your nerves because they're always collected, always together, never anything wrong, always better than you. You can't even compare. They're perfect. Why do you, why do you even bother? You know that person? Now, I know some of you wish you could raise your hands, but the rest of your small group is here, and so it's dangerous, I know. So I won't, I won't force you to raise your hands. But I want you to think about that person, that perfect person. All right? <clears throat> There's two problems here, and both of them destroy fellowship in our small groups, in our Bible studies. The first problem 
Is everybody who wishes they could raise their hand right now? I know that perfect person. Okay, I'm sorry. We're going to start here. You're lying. They aren't perfect. You are participating in a lie. John bears down on this and says, there's no one without sin. He who says he's without sin is a liar. If we claim we have no sin, we make him a liar. All right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible pounds this home. There is no such thing as the perfect person. And you cannot fellowship with somebody you think is perfect. Okay? Why not? If you're living your life this way, there's three categories of people. You got the perfect people, yourself, and the bad people. Right? Or the good people. That we know they're not perfect, but they're certainly better than us. Right? The better people, you, and the worse people. You're not going to have anything to do with the bad people. Right? Because you don't want to become, you don't want to get dragged down. You don't want to get associated with, with the baddies. And you know you're not as good as the good people, but at least you're not as bad as the bad people. Right? You're somewhere right there. Hopefully, maybe just below. You're not the good. You're not with them. But you're certainly, certainly not with them down here, the bad people. So you can't fellowship with the bad people because that would, you know, taint you. And on the other hand, you can't fellowship with the good people. Now you're saying, but that's what I want. All I desire is to become like them and fellowship with them. No, you don't. The good people can't confess their sin to you, can they? If the good people confess their sin to you, what are you going to do? Three things. You'll do one of these three things. Either you'll say, ah, that's not a sin. Because you do it. And you know you don't want to admit more sin. So, ah, that's not a sin. Or you'll say, oh, look how much better they are than me. They confess their sin. Or what? What's the third thing? <laughs> Boom! You're down at the bad people, aren't you? I always knew you were faking it. Man, God. God. Those are your only three options. If you live your life, you know, looking up to like the good people, trying to make your way to the to the good people, and trying to stay away from the bad people. You have no fellowship with anybody. You're stuck in yourself. You're the only person in your group. There is no fellowship. There is no light. You can't confess your sin. If you confess your sin, what's going to happen? You're going to, make a, you're going to be in the bad person list of person good. So you can't confess your sin. 
You can't associate with half the people. And the other half of the people can't even talk to you because you dismiss what they say. You refuse to accept the fact that they are sinners. And so you're participating in the lie. You're advocating the lie that there are those without sin. It's not true. There is no one without sin. We run into the same problem over and over again. Hit the same sin. What's going to happen? Well, we certainly can't confess it, can we? Can you ever... Can you ever have a real relationship with someone who idolizes you? Have you ever had someone idolize you? It's annoying, isn't it? They think you're good, and you know you're not, and you're like, what gives? Just leave, go away. I'm not perfect. I don't like you. Now, the second problem that we have is all the people who didn't even want to raise your hands. All right? And there's overlap between these groups. But here's the second problem. The second problem is that there are innumerable ways that we communicate our perfection to others. How do we communicate our perfection to others? You're all going, well, I'm not perfect. What do you mean? I can't communicate my perfection. I'm not perfect. Yeah, you're communicating your perfection. How are you communicating your perfection? How many of you have never confessed that you are struggling with a particular sin at your small group? Now, right now, some of you are going, that's me. I'm going to I'm going to enlarge that group of people saying, "Yeah, that's me." Did you notice the tense are struggling? How many of you only confessed sins that you were struggling with? The group just got a lot bigger, didn't it? We communicate our perfection by waiting to confess things until after they're done with. We've gotten over them. We communicate our perfection by just never saying anything at all. Never admitting problems, struggles, sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And what happens? Again, you run into the same sin over and over again. What are you going to do in your small group? You've got to communicate your perfection. So you can't keep confessing the same sin over and over. So, you know, it's going to depend on the sin. Like, you know, lust, maybe once a year, right? You might confess that one. I was struggling with lust last month, but glad I'm done with that now. 
But you can't say it again the next month. Like, I was struggling with lust again last month. Because then everyone knows, oh, he's not perfect. I've gossiped maybe, you know, every six months, right? You can, you can confess that one more often because it's not quite so bad. You're communicating your perfection. Holding that sin inside, shining that fake light out. Got to keep pretending. Or we do another thing with that sin. We completely lose shame. We just throw it out there. Yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm angry. Get over it. I'm an angry guy. I'm not ashamed of it. That's me. You're not going to confess it then either, are you? It's just part of who I am. Leave me alone. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar. Him, Jesus. We make Him a liar. Why? Because He died... For our sins. If we have no sins, he died for nothing. If we have no sins, his word is not in us. This passage makes it abundantly clear that confession of sin is evidence that we are no longer walking in the dark. And instead are fellowshipping with God the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and with our brothers. So let's remember what this looks like. The beauty of true fellowship. Of being able to confess your sins. But there's one last problem. Last problem is, it's just not safe to confess your sin in small group, is it? I mean, there's, if it was just, you know, Stephen, I could confess my sin, but, you know, there's also my peer, Colin. I don't want I don't want him to see that I'm, you know, a sinner. How do we how do we make our small groups unsafe? We make our small groups unsafe when people confess their sins. And this is our response. Oh, I'm uncomfortable. Okay, I'm going to leave early today. What does that communicate? Communicates your perfection? Your lack of a need to confess your sin? So when others, (gasps) confessing! That's our opportunity for true fellowship. And what do we do instead? We run away. What does that prove? We have no fellowship. 
If it makes you uncomfortable and you leave when people are confessing sin and you refuse to enter into fellowship with them in their struggles, refuse to confess your own sin, there is no light. You're uncomfortable because they're standing in the spotlight. And you're out in the darkness. And you realize how dark it is. Enter into the spotlight. Confess your sins. And you will have real fellowship with God and with your brothers. If we're in fellowship with others, we mourn over the sin of those who confess their sin to us. We rejoice with them in their repentance. We become closer, not further apart. Our relationship deepens. We don't get scared and back away. We come closer. We reach down our hand and help them up. We confess our own sins. And we reach up humbly, letting the weak person, the weak sinner standing above us help us up. We are in battle together against sin. And the weapon that we have is confession of sin. We don't like that weapon, do we? But it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful weapon. And it draws us together. It brings us into relationship with God. How do we know? Well, look back at verse 9. This is the answer for all of us this morning. What does verse 9 say? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, what does James say? James says, Confess your sins one to another. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. There is nothing as sweet as the support of our brothers through trials and temptations. And you can't have that fellowship without confession of sin. And they can't have that fellowship without that confession of sin. So those of us who are walking in darkness, this is the answer. Confess your sin. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And don't keep it a secret. Let us know. Tell your new brothers and sisters. 
so that we can rejoice with you and remember what it's like to be forgiven much. Because we've grown used to having been forgiven little, of being perfect people with perfect people's sins. And if you come to us and remind us of our own sin by telling us of your own sin, we will rejoice with you, love you, and we will confess our sins and enter into fellowship with the Father. Let's pray.